There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Wharton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 11th of March 2010. For the newcomers, I always suggest you look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You scroll down the front page. I know it's a mess, but you can scroll down and find all the other sites I have up there. Bookmark them for future use, because once in a while I get problems uploading to, to the main com site. And the main ones are the com, there's cuttingthroughthematrix.net.us.ca.org. There's Alan Watt, cuttingthroughthematrix.ca. There's cuttingthrough.jenkness.com. There's also Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu, which is the European site. And you can get the same audios as the rest for download, but you get this edition of transcripts of quite a lot of the talks I've given over the years. And you can download them for print up and to pass around to your friends. I always mention at the start, too, that the way I get the sales pitch over, because most folk will repeat it all through, gets monotonous, and I don't like salesmen myself. But anyway, you're the audience that brings me to you, because I don't accept money from advertisers. The ads on the show go directly from the advertisers, the payment to RBN for the broadcast of the station and for the, their equipment and their staff and for the actual transmission of the show. So you have to keep me going by going into cuttingthroughthematrix.com. See what I have for sale. There's books there I've written. There's also discs, DVDs, CDs as well of a lot of the talks I've given over the past, sometimes 50 on a disc, and they're quite cheap as well comparatively for this day and age. From the U.S. to Canada, you can purchase these things by personal check. You can use MoneyGram, Western Union, or you can also use an international postal money order from your post office. I stress international. Don't come out with the green one. That's internal only. Cash is fine too. And you can also order through PayPal. Now, it's a donation for PayPal or a button on, for donations on the site. But you can also use that for, for purchasing. Just send a separate email uh, with your purchase along with the PayPal donation. And I'll get it out to you. Same across the rest of the world. You can use MoneyGram, Western Union, PayPal, or cash. That's up to you. But as I say, you've got to keep me going. Most folk, of course, listen. Thousands listen. A few give out. I don't use subscriptions either, which helps people um, pretty well know how much money they'll bring in in a month. I don't have any of that. I live on a shoestring, and it's bit by bit as I go along. So... There's also people who get a lot of discs burned and passed to them uh, because they don't like using computers, and they play them on CD players. You get in touch with me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estaire, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. The postal code is P for Peter, the number 3, E for Elizabeth, the number 4, N for Nora, the number 1, P3E4N1. 
And what I do on this particular program is to talk about the big system in which we live, the one that we think is all quite normal. And even when we think it's, it's becoming abnormal or we think we're being taken over by some foreign entity, really it's always been this way. Big gangs run the world and uh, money runs it all. So naturally the gangsters have all to do with money. Every country uh, revolves around cash. Every single country on the planet and uh, the last few remnants of those who didn't need money are being stamped out right now. They call them primitive. They call them uh, fixed societies, stagnant societies, uh, very self-sufficient, but uh, no one can be allowed to survive in this world without the big boys' debt system. Debt is slavery, of course, and then you rule as a master back after these messages. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. I love talking about reality uh, as it's presented to us and how we're conditioned to actually see it. We, The old priests in ancient times knew how to get between what you saw or heard and your brain that receives it all uh, from your eyes or your ears. And as long as you can get in between them, you can alter perception and train people that whatever you tell them is normal becomes normal, especially after a single generation and then you just leave it to the parents, and they will teach the same thing to their children. And so it's, it's an ongoing process. It's a simple thing to do, really, if you have enough power or imagination or technique and how to do it. And we run the same way. Of course, schooling itself has many functions, none of which are related to give you an education to survive in life. They may give you basic skills to get into the system and to be taxed, because that's really what you're there for to be taxed uh, as a, a useful idiot. And um, and that's what we are, really. Uh, slavery has always been here in one form or another, as Charles Galton Darwin said himself in his book, The Next Million Years. It, and it's, it's, it's that way. He said that at the time they wrote this book, he said, we're, we're perfecting uh, a new, more sophisticated form of slavery. Well, that's been done, and we take everything for normal. We think, most folk think that they vote people into office into governments across the world. They really do believe that, uh, never knowing that uh, since everything runs on money and every prime minister or president has to go to their central bank every year, which is not their own, it's not a country, even the Federal Reserves is federal in name only. It's a private consortium. And they must borrow money uh, to carry on their government every year then who runs the government? It's the same guys that put them in, and they all work for the bankers. If they didn't, they wouldn't last very long. And then they go off with policies that are detrimental to the general public, so they don't ever represent the general public at all either. But Stalin wrote about the necessity to to pay your soldiers, your police, and your bureaucrats very well, regardless if, if the rest of the public were starving, which they often were at times within the early Soviet Union. And the same in China, when it went through its communist revolution, a million starved to death. And Stalin uh, had complete faith in the bureaucracies because they made sure that they always had enough of everything. That's something that Orwell put in his movie or his book to 1984, uh, the, those bar stewards at the top 
lack for nothing. And uh, that's always been the way. So even when we're going down and they've given your economies away to, or your jobs away to China, which is really what they did when they signed the GATT Treaty, and they knew what would happen to the U.S., for instance. They knew that eventually the dollar would go as well and it wouldn't become the main trading currency of the world. That was all discussed long before they signed the GATT Treaty. They don't do things by accident at the top. And after all, the bigger prize is completely global. It's a a world enterprise. So you can use countries along the way down through the centuries and then put it into your final one, controlling the entire planet, and make money whatever you want it to be. But, as I say, they always take care of their own bureaucrats and employees. The defectors from the old Soviet Union, like Besmanov and other ones who were up on the Internet giving talks, very good talks, they all said that they came over to the West not because they were suffering financially. They lived at the same standard of living with the same uh, um, articles and stereo systems and giant TVs as the, the Western bureaucrats did. They left for ideological reasons. Now, there's an article here from the Washington Times. It's one of many. It comes out over the years. Same thing happens in every country when Britain does it or France or wherever. And this is from the Washington Times. Um, Government workers feel no economic pain, says March the 11th. Uh, the recession and the ongoing jobless recovery, jobless recovery, I like that word, isn't it? Devastated much of the private sector workforce last year, sending unemployment soaring, but government workers emerged essentially unscathed, according to data released by Wednesday by the Labor Department. Under the compensation for state and local governments, uh, employees continue to easily outdistance the wages and benefits for workers in private business, a separate Labor Department report showed. Private industry employers spend an average of $27.42 per hour, work for total employee compensation in December, while total compensation costs for state and local government workers averaged 39.6 per hour. The average government wage and salary per hour of $26.11 was 35% higher than the average wage and salary of $19.41 per hour in the private sector. But the percentage difference in benefits was much higher. Benefits for state and local workers averaged $13.49 per hour, nearly 70% higher than the $8 per hour in benefits paid by private businesses. So that's just going over the usual stuff, as governments must take care of those that work directly underneath them. That's an essential thing for all governments to do, even when the countries are going to the dogs. Now, everyone's heard of Mark Bard who's worked for the Boston Globe and, and other papers. He's got his own website up, and I've read from his previous sites before. And this, art, this one's here from it's the SciTech Heretic, is called now, the SciTech Heretic site he's put up. And this is from March the 10th, 2010. Scientists' vaccines say they provide herd immunity. Herd, because that's, I've mentioned before, that's what they, they say. I first heard them use that term during the phony SARS outbreak in Toronto, uh, they said it was herd immunity. They hoped to, to get into the, the herd. That's all of us, you know. And so he goes on to say, uh, those the kids protect the herd. That's the language hard-hearted epidemiologists are using to describe how vaccinations work to protect human populations.
It says, uh, an unusually stu- unusual study done in 49 remote Hutterite farming colonies in Western Canada has provided the surest proof yet that giving flu shots to school children protects the whole community from the disease. Although previous studies have demonstrated what scientists called herd immunity, none have been so incontrovertible because they were done in less isolated places with more sources of flu passing through. Now, it's true enough, too, that um, they've done studies with Mormon uh, Mormons in Utah, I think it was, and others uh, who didn't get all the, the different shots, etc., and they found that they were the healthiest people of all with almost no rates of autism, same in the, the Amish as well. I'm talking about the ones who really follow their religion and their way of life. It says the scientists, however, are using the name, that's the herd in, uh, language, precise language of that obnoxious prig, the fourth earl of Chesterfield, Philip Dormer Stanhope, he was the one who first used it about the general public. And there's a link to his statements for the full text there as well. So he gives you links as well to where you've seen it in the mainstream papers, the New York Times, for instance, msnnbc.com. So I'll put this up with the other topics of tonight's on my site, cuttingthroughmatrix.com, at the end of the show. Now here's another interesting one from Mark. It's again from SciTech Heretic. And it's the March 11th. The nanny state's next stop, your bum. No kidding, bum. I said it. Oh, I said it. Something that's not said much on TV. Well, actually, probably is on TV. I think what I've heard. I don't, I don't watch TV, but I heard it's, it's got a lot to do with bums these days, uh, generally masculine. But anyway, this says here, and I, I actually titled this one. I, I always put different titles from the media and I said that it's the new, um, enviro apartheid. And you understand this when I read it. It says, and you thought recycling was a bitch. How long before they've got us sorting our poop and pee stateside? Toilets that catch urine and feces separately are catching on with the do-gooders throughout Europe, according to a recent study. Told that their waste could be sorted, sorting your waste, there you go, and converted into fertilizer, yes, food, and yes, for human consumption, they were only too happy to oblige. Men also say they are willing to squat over the bowls to pee in order to hit their marks in the so-called no-mix toilets, something that's difficult to do standing up. And then he goes on with more of the actual story. Uh, these toilets are being sold across Europe now. There's some some uh, get-rich-quick uh, guys caught in on the acts and they go away. No-mix toilets have drawbacks, most importantly phosphate precipitation causing brockages or the necessity to sit to sit to urinate practical issues reviewed in 21. Nevertheless, no-mixed toilets are increasingly installed. So there you go. That's enviro-apartheid. Even your poop and your pee can't go together anymore. And they make money off it as well. Uh, I wonder if they'll ask us to sort it out and, and deliver it to them perhaps for free too, or they'll give us special cans for it like the garbage guys do. But whatever way it is, we, we produce everything. See, we, Marx was quite right. We're the only ones who produce the laboring class, you see. Not that I'm all for Marx, but that was, that's a truth right there. And, and I guess you've got to replace some things. That, that's the only thing we'll be manufacturing shortly, the stuff to take away in your poop bin. Now, schools are, 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 are oh, they're a disgrace. I could go on forever about schools and the, the political political agendas that they have of indoctrination now. 
and what they've done throughout the years is they've changed more and more and more into social politics and indoctrination for the kind of society that the elite want them to, to, to live in, how they want them to behave, what type of people they want, and so on. But uh, there's a, a technique they use in um, some of these uh, teaching groups for teachers too and for different peoples. I can't remember what it's called, but uh, for instance, if they want you to know what it's like to be blind, they'll, they'll blindfold the whole class and have you stumbling across groping each other. And some people today probably enjoy that. However, this article here is about going a step further. And it's from the Mail Online. It says, Primary school children in tears after they're told that they will be removed from their families as part of a Holocaust game. Boy, just politics going everywhere. 11th of March 2010. I'll read this after these messages. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt, we're cutting through the matrix, reading an article about the, the lengths they go to to indoctrinate children and scare them. Fear is a very good tactic. You tend to remember through emotion and fear is the one that really embeds itself uh, the, associated with a particular occurrence. So they know what they're doing, of course, at the top. And this is primary school children in tears after they were told they would be removed from families as part of a Holocaust game. 11th of March 2010, Mail Online. A group of stunned primary school children began crying when their teacher told them during a bizarre Holocaust game that they were to be taken away from their families. The pupils aged 11 became upset after a number of them were segregated and told they were being sent away or might end up in an orphanage. The ordeal was meant to give the youngsters at the Lancashire Lanarkshire School, an insight into the horrors faced by Jewish children during World War II. Why not gypsies as well, and the Slavs and all those other people? And there's a lot of dissenters as well who were just Germans who ended up there as, uh, as well, the same sort of thing. This is the exercise was intended to give the pupils at St. Hilary's Primary School an insight into the horrors faced by Jewish children during World War II, but the exercise which was sprung without warning on the children at St. Hilary's Primary School in East Kilbride last Thursday morning reduced several to tears. Deputy Head Teacher Elizabeth McGlynn segregated nine pupils and told them they were to be sent away. After 15 minutes, they were told it was all an act, but that the role play would carry on up to lunchtime. One angry parent who was lodged an official complaint about the exercise told how the barbaric role-play upset the children. In a letter sent to council bosses, the unnamed mother said Mrs. McGlynn or, told the children they would probably have to be sent away from their families and that their parents had been informed about this and knew all about it. When one boy asked, one child asked if they meant they might have to go to an orphanage, they were told that it might be a possibility. At that point, many of the children became very distressed. Well, no kidding. Eh? One boy kicked his chair over, one was angry and demanded to speak to someone in charge, but most were crying on a scale ranging from mildly to severely. Their ordeal lasted between 12 and 15 minutes before the children were informed that it was all an act, but the role play would continue until lunchtime. One girl said her classmates began crying when Mrs. McGlynn told them she had a letter from the Scottish executive saying nine children had to be separated from their classmates. She told the shot youngsters, those who were born in January, February and March, 
had lower IQs than other children. Here's a nice thing, you see. Due to lack of sunlight in their mother's womb. <laughs> and that they had to be put, uh, put on yellow hats and be sent to the library. The mother added, when I asked why on earth they thought it was appropriate to deliver a role-play situation to the children in this way, Mrs. Stewart informed me that they didn't inform the children beforehand. This was because they wanted the children to experience an accurate emotional response to the scenario in order for it to be reflected in their story writing. Mrs. Stewart then invited me to come up to the school and see the excellent work that had been produced as a result of the exercise. I declined, and my position and opinion on the method used to extract emotive story writing from the children was cruel, barbaric, traumatic, and totally, totally unethical. My daughter, and indeed no children, needs to feel the terror, fear, panic, segregation, and horror that a child of the Holocaust experienced during one of the worst atrocities in history to be able to empathize with them in order to produce good story writing. Then a South Lancashire Council spokeswoman who confirmed that a role-play activity took place said the council can confirm that a parent handed in a letter to Education Resources Monday, March 8th, and this will be responded to shortly. That's your bureaucrat talking, you see. So uh, there you go. I I read one quite a few months back, too, where in a school the children arrived to see what they thought was their their teacher lying dead in a pool of blood, and the whole thing was a, a similar scenario as well. To, to this is the this is the new teaching. All these new agers, the ones that do the strip rules as well, as I put up a few a couple of weeks ago, the, the strippers uh, display of the male and the female uh, with the lap dancing and all that. This is the this is the modern way because you see we're being degraded generation by generation. Every twenty years or so we plummet, and we see them growing up and becoming teachers. And this is the sort of kind of stuff they end up doing. Uh, with all their new agey nonsense. And again, don't forget for a minute that the governments and departments are very interested in these little experiments that they do on children. They'll be, it'll be much, much higher than just a school doing this or just a couple of teachers. It'll be much, much higher than that. It's always the way. We're always being experimented upon. And then as we go into the absurdity again of how we should live and how we should eat and that previous article from Mark Bard, how we should pee and poop. Uh, New York, uh, <laughs> New York's talking about putting a bill through to ban salt in restaurants. And this is, uh, remember they, they banned this, the, the fatty stuff a while back there and they pushed for the, the trans fatty acids and all that kind of stuff. Well, this is the next step for it. Eventually, you, you, you'll go in there and you'll get a leaf of lettuce, probably, and some chemical mayonnaise to stick on it. They'll tell you it's good for you when they've eliminated meat altogether. This is step by step by step of the takedown. And uh, this article here says, Chef, The chef's call proposed New York salt ban absurd. And it's from Fox News New York, my Fox New York. Some New York City chefs and restaurant owners are taking aim at a bill introduced in the New York legislature that, if passed, would, be, would ban the use of salt in restaurant cooking. No owner or operator of a restaurant in this state shall use any salt in any form in the preparation of any food order for consumption by customers of such restaurant, including food prepared to be consumed on the premises of such restaurant or off of such premises. So, so takeouts as well. I think I see music coming in. I'll be back after this.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Talking about the nanny state that the U.S. is becoming, copying Britain, of course, in many of its ways. But uh, they've actually gone a step further, I think, in banning salt. They're trying to ban salt from restaurants in New York. And it says the legislation which Assemblyman Felix Ortiz uh, from Brooklyn introduced uh, on March the 5th would fine restaurants $1,000 for each violation. The consumer needs to make their own health choices, not or just as doctors and occasional visits to a hospital can't truly control how a person chooses to maintain their health. Neither can chefs nor the occasional visit to a restaurant, said Jeff Nathan, the executive chef and co-owner of Abigail's on Broadway. Modifying trans fats and sodium intake needs to be home-based for optimal health. Regulating restaurants will not solve this health issue. You know what you find is when they cut all this stuff out, you're rushing out to the, the fattiest food places you can for a decent meal because you crave it, you know. Your body needs a lot of that stuff. Nathan is part of the group My Food, My Choice, which calls itself a coalition of chefs, restaurant owners and consumers, called the proposed law absurd in a press release issued on its Facebook page. Ortiz has said the salt ban would allow restaurant patrons to decide how salty they want their meals to be. In this way, consumers have more control over the amount of sodium they intake and are given the option to exercise healthier diets and healthier lifestyles, Ortiz says, I count our nation's national uh, restaurant news reports. But many chefs and restaurant owners say they are tired of politicians dictating what they can serve and what people can eat. They proposed the city, they've opposed the city's anti-sodium and anti-trans fat campaigns. Chefs would be handcuffed in their food preparation, and many are already in open rebellion over the, this legislation, said Oritz Klar of My Food, My Choice. Ortiz and fellow anti-salt zealot Mayor Michael Bloomberg of New York City seek to undermine the food and restaurant business in the entire state. The American Heart Association, oh, here we go, encourages Americans to reduce their sodium intake and has advocated the reduction of sodium used by food manufacturers and restaurants by 50% over a 10-year period. So it's an ongoing process, this, uh, this takedown. You see the nanny state... Uh, they've gone further in Britain where they want to weigh you. They're wearing your children already and sending the parents reports if they claim you're a pound overweight and you're a bad parent for allowing this to happen and all this. It's amazing, too, how everybody has to be the same as everybody else. We all have different sizes, frames. Some are thin, some are wide, etc. But we're all supposed to fit into the standard bureaucratic pattern with an ideal uh, weight for height and all that stuff. And it just doesn't work that way. But it doesn't matter with bureaucrats. They're fanatical nutters and not very imaginative people either. Not very bright, really. They're told what to do and they go ahead and do it. And they try to fit square uh, pegs into round holes. Stuff like that. Now, we've all heard about how the vaccines make people sick. Uh, there's so much data on it, which is countered by the massive well-financed propaganda from big pharma companies and who, who are, do a lot of paying off in politicians. And don't believe for a minute politicians don't take payoffs. It's a big gang at the top, and payoffs are quite normal in their routine uh, lives, basically. This article here is from Mail Online, and it's interesting. Vaccines are now making the dogs sick as vets cash in. 
this is the 6th of March 2010. Vaccines given to dogs are making them ill, a pet charity claimed yesterday. Profit-hungry drug companies and vets are frightening dog owners into inoculating their pets more often than necessary, according to Canine Health Concern. Some puppies have developed conditions including autism and epilepsy after a raft of injections, it warns. Kathleen O'Driscoll from the charity said, We're not anti-vaccination. What we're saying is that currently our pets are receiving far too many. The latest scientific research shows that after the first course of injections, as a puppy, most dogs are immune against these diseases for at least seven years, if not for life. Every year, pet vaccination companies hold National Vaccination Month, a national campaign when pet owners whose boosters have lapsed by 18 months or more are terrified into having their pet jabbed. While the vast majority of vets might simply not be aware of the latest scientific research, we are concerned that for a few, undoubtedly, doing multiple jabs is a way of making more money from worried pet owners. And of course it is. People used to um, go into law to, to, get, to bring in the big cash, but there's so much competition. And if you don't do that, you go into the medical industry, where it's a big rip-off and it's easy cash as well. Good status, big money. And you, you, every, every year someone turns 40 and gets sick, basically, these days maybe even younger, so you're guaranteed a constant flow of customers. You don't have to make a business. You don't have to make a market. It's already there. They, they come to you. And now uh, lots of them are going into veterinary science because small vets are worth their fortune. It's 800 bucks generally when you walk through the door after hours, an emergency, and before they do anything to the dog. So just, just to walk through the doors after hours, they, they then call it an emergency time. Uh, it's $800, and people will spend everything they have to save Fluffy, and they darn well know it too, so they make a killing off it, I, I, literally an awful killing off it. But big pharma's in it too, and the same pharma companies that make the stuff for the humans, and the medications for the humans are the same ones that make it for the animals as well. So it says here, while the vast majority of vets might simply not be aware of the latest scientific research, we're concerned that for a few undoubtedly going multiple jabs is a way of making more money from the worried pet owners. Puppies are vaccinated against distemper, hepatitis, pavrovirus, leptospirosis, and parainfluenza up to three times by the age of four months. They may also be immunized against coronavirus, rabies, Lyme disease, and bordetella or kennel cough. Booster shots are given every year or every three or four years, but some have suffered dramatic changes in behavior or been diagnosed with cancer within months of the injections, Canaan Health Concern says. In a letter backed by 17 vets and other pet experts, the charity has called on the Veterinary Medicines Directorate, which monitors animal vaccines, to issue new advice on their use. Mrs. O'Driscoll, who believes cats and rabbits could also be at risk, added that a simple blood test would determine whether an animal needed a booster or not. Richard Allport, a Hertfordshire vet who assigned the letter to the VMD, said he was constantly seeing animals that had developed worrying symptoms after vaccination. But then, of course, they also have the other big well-funded animal charities who are all given cash grants by the, the farmers who say that the vaccinations are vital. So you see, it's the same old stuff. Money, money wins in the end, regardless of what's staring you in the face as evidence. But, uh, but that's, that's uh, it's just amazing. You know, they came out too with um, the, the heartworm disease. Heartworm, heartworm, it's carried by mosquitoes and so on. 
and they certainly do have it in some places like Pennsylvania and, and, and so on. But even up in Sudbury, um, where I had my, my previous dog, uh, I found that there wasn't a single vet would even, let, even see your dog unless it had all the latest vaccinations. That was mandatory before they'd look at your dog. And I just shopped around until I found someone who would treat the dog for what the dog was in for. And they told me quite honestly, this, this young couple starting off, uh, they said, uh, you don't need um, the heartworm shots up here because this whole area in the north has never seen a single case of heartworm. Yet every other vet was telling you it was vital because of the big bucks they get from it. You know, that's how things really, really are. And apart from that too, you know, the dog food that they, they make the dog food from, I've talked to some people who are in the manufacturing and the stuff, and they tell me it's uh, it's the worst possible stuff they're adding to uh, that um, reconstituted food that they, they give you as dog food, the, the pellets. And it's grains they're using in there which are actually banned for human consumption. Very cheap. Kills a lot of dogs off. Uh, often full too uh, of pesticides. A lot of stuff, that stuff comes from China, lots of it. Uh, well, anyway, that's bucks for you, profit and loss and all that. Profit for them and it's always your loss. The Telegraph. Now, some countries in Europe have put up a big fight against the genetically modified foods, but these guys will bring it in anyway, one way or another. They never give up, and after all, they can pay off all the politicians and get their way eventually. This article is from the Telegraph. First GM potato to be grown in Europe. Farmers will be able to grow fields of genetically modified potatoes in Europe for the first time after a controversial ruling by the European Commission. So you, don't have to buy, you can bypass countries now and go right to the Commission at the EU Parliament, you see. It's, it's smart. That's why I keep telling you that the bankers love centralization. And they own all these companies. It's one big gang at the top, you understand, for the whole world. But they love centralization. Then they don't have uh, ongoing battles with separate countries and so on to collect debt or whatever, or to pass laws. They just get multi-amalgamated into one big consortium and they deal with the top boys there. It's not for our benefit, any of this. It's for the big boys who already own the planet. So this is the 3rd of March, 2010. Uh, So it says... um, the decision is the first approval for a GM crop to be grown on a commercial scale in Europe for 12 years and was criticized by environmentalists. Uh, they are amazing, these environmentalists, what they do, until they get bought over too, since most of the money comes from the big boys. But the EC insisted the crop was safe and will not be grown for human consumption. What a lie. Eh? They probably say they're growing it for starch, for glue or something. And Canada is one of the biggest uh, growers of all this stuff. Millions, uh, they got about a million acres set aside for growing potatoes and experimental stuff. What it really is, that, see, not enough folk in, in the Europe uh, are dying with stomach cancers yet, like they are in Canada and the States. So they have to get that going and really up the death rate. Then they can, they won't have all that pension money to pay out uh, down the road. So as a GM uh, Amflora potato has been developed by German chemical giant BASF, to produce more starch. Oh, yes, there you go. It's expected to be mostly grown in Germany for industrial purposes like the paper industry, but not food. Of course not, of course. However, it's unlikely to be grown in Britain because there is no demand for the potato in industry. Prior to the potato, only 
MON, I says Monsanto, probably 810, a strain of GM maize by Monsanto, had been authorized for cultivation in Europe since 1998. GM crops can also be grown for scientific trials, and the UK government has given permission for a number of GM potato trials recently. However, this is the first time GM has been grown on a commercial scale in Europe. John Daly, EU Health and Consumer Policy Commissioner, said its latest decision was based on a considerable volume of sound science. Sound science is you put out your hand, the big boys fill it, and you stick it in your pocket. That's what they call sound science, with the big mafia gang that run Europe and the rest of the world. And they always get what they want over injections, always. They might wait a few years, but eventually they always get what they want. But that's true too. They, when they, years ago, when they were trying out these potatoes on all different kinds of animals, they, all, they were all dying of massive cancers of the stomach and colon. And, and of course, we are no different when it comes to that. There's something in it that causes the problems. And that's why all the, uh, the acid reducers suddenly blossomed uh, on the shelves and stores of the pharmacies. And folk don't know what's wrong with them. But the big boys certainly do. And so does your National Health Service but uh, they won't uh, ever admit it to you either. People forget about Iran. Now, Iran was on the list of the boys who were in the New American Century group. And these characters, these characters go on be- uh, between and, and with uh, all changes in Congress. So they don't go out of business. The agendas never change. And Iran is being taken down the same way as Iraq, uh, we remember that Iraq had years of starvation thanks to Madeleine Albright and a few other air cronies uh, as they starved the people right down into the ground. You always do this first before you send troops in, weaken them, cause, get diseases going, put up the death rate, get malnourishment going, and then you hit them with the hard stuff. So they're doing the same with Iran, and they're cutting off their fuel uh, supplies uh, to Iran. This article here is from the Wall Street Journal. Shell stops gas sales to Iran. Now, Shell's done it. There's also an article where uh, I think it's uh, Royal Dutch Shell also uh, is in on it, and another one, Ingersoll or whatever, is in on it as well. They're all cutting off the supplies to Iran. Uh, they're, they're already cutting back medications going into Iran as well, same as it did with Iraq. But this article says, London Royal Dutch Shell PLC said Wednesday it's no longer selling gasoline to Iran the latest oil company to make such a move during threats of tougher sanctions. They call them sanctions as they starve the folk against Islamic Republic. Shell is not currently selling gasoline to Iran, a company spokesman said, and then it goes on to drivel after that. Drivel is nonsense. But uh, it's ongoing. We don't hear much about it right now, but this is part of the softening up process, as it's called. Now, as I, say, I said yesterday, the health care bill is an essential part of uh, taking control over, over everyone's lives, physically, a physical takeover of your lives. That's why you've got to get national health services coming in. And remember, Lenin was the one who said it, that all these things in the West will start off as services, and then they will be put up with, uh, into credence with the titles of authorities, and that's what they become in most countries in the world. The health authority says this, the health authority says that. 
And they've got to bring in a national health care system, which is not to take care of your health, it's to bring the health state down of the entire nation, as they have done everywhere else they've set it up. And once you have your whole policies dictated by political agendas, with eugenical agendas in it too, and economics factored into it, uh, once they've got it on the go, they start cutting back and cutting back into bare bones. Whenever they have to cut back on anything, it's always in the health sector and national health service systems. And this article here is from the Washington, Washington Examiner. It says here, it's from the, the third, the, the tenth, I should say, the third. Uh, it says, um, House Democrats looking at slaughter solution to pass Obamacare without a vote on Senate bill. Uh, would House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and her fellow House Demo- uh, Democratic leaders try to cram the Senate version of Obamacare through the House without actually having a recorded vote on the bill? Not only is the answer yes, they would, they have figured out a way to do it, according to National Journal's Congress Daily. House Rules Chairwoman Louise Slaughter is, is prepping. Why did they get a name like Slaughter? To prepper, uh, is prepping to help usher the health care overhaul through the House and potentially avoid a direct vote on the Senate overhaul bill, the chairwoman said Tuesday. Slaughter is weighing, uh, prepar- uh, she is weighing pre- preparation or preparing a rule that would consider the Senate bill passed once the House approves a corrections bill that would make changes to the Senate version. Slaughter has not taken the plan to Speaker Pelosi as Democrats await CBO scores on the corrections bill. Once the CBO gives us a score, we'll spring right on it, she said. Each bill that comes before the House for a vote on final passage must be given a rule that determines things like where the minority would be able to offer amendments to it from the floor. In the slaughter solution, the rule would declare that the House deems the Senate version of Obamacare to have been passed by the House. We'll deem it passed. How's that? Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and we're cutting through the matrix. Now there's Maggie from Texas on the phone line. Is she there? Are you there, Maggie? Um, Hello. Hello. Yes. Um, I I couldn't resist uh, asking you, do you think that this uh, proposed law to uh, prohibit salt in restaurants is serious or is that some kind of a psyop that's that, that's been set up. I mean, that it's not meant to be taken seriously, but it's meant to be out there. Because if they were really to do such a thing, it would not only kill the restaurant industry, it would kill the entire New York City entertainment district. And uh, since a lot of business is conducted in restaurants, it would kill a lot of business. So do yeah. you think they're serious about this, or they're just uh, running it by us as a bait? Oh, they're, they're running it by us, but, but what they do is they implant, they call it trial balloons. Right, a beta test. Or a trial yeah, balloon. so they put up the balloon, they see what the response is from the general public, if any. And then they'll wait a week or two, then someone else will come up with a similar suggestion. It might be along the salt line or something else to do with the food. 
and then, and then flop that and then see if it folk are uh, talking about less and less. Once they talk about less and less and less, it's time to push it forward, which they can certainly do if they want to. But you must understand, too, that they don't want us to be a healthy in this day age. They've done all they can to make us very unhealthy, and that would certainly uh, fall in with their plans, yeah. Yeah, okay, thank you. Yeah, thanks for calling. Yeah, so, yeah, we don't really get it. We think we're supposed to be healthy. Well, they wouldn't put fluoride in your water if they wanted you healthy. Uh, Stalin used that uh, early on uh, to dumb people down to a compliant population, and they've done many other things with inoculations ever since as well. But once you start malnourishing people, you can see very obese people, they're actually malnourished in many things which they need because the things which they're addicted to uh, are often processed foods and there's no nourishment in there. So they get on the calories, they pack that on, but they're not getting the minerals and the vitamins and the proteins and the enzymes that they actually need. So uh, this is well understood as well. Uh, we're not in a healthy society and and people really are, are getting sicker and sicker all the time. Going along by the Malthusian documents, remember Thomas Malthus, who came out with his essay on population and who's now revived as a hero by the eugenics movement. Um, he advocated ways to kill off the useless eaters, uh, where to build housing for them in very unhealthy areas. Uh, they actually worked out uh, how, how, how far people should be bedded together uh, in the workhouses for the poor when they were sleeping on the floor to see how far a, a flea or, or the lice could move from one to the other to carry diseases and kill them off. That always worked out to an art back in his day. If you think that killing off the population is a new thing, well, they've always killed us off when there's too many of us, or they simply don't need us anymore. We become the useless eaters. And Malthus also worked for the British government that had plantations across the planet who worked out their diets, and what they did was put them on a vegetarian diet, primarily restricted the types of vegetables or stuff they got, so that they could just continue their work. They wouldn't be too bright. You're not bright when you're malnourished, you know. Your mind is very sluggish, so you're obedient, you're easy to manage, and you don't have enough energy to run away from uh, your little slave camp at, uh, at night, you see. You don't have the energy to move or go away. These were sciences from the 1700s and actually before written by the same bar stewards that run the world today. That's the real world we live in, folks. From Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you.